The following contains themes of suicidal ideation and self-harm and may not be suitable for all listeners. Please be advised. There was a huge increase in anxiety. And then she had a panic attack. So there's going to be an avalanche of people looking for help. It's incredibly difficult as a mom. She just cried and cried and cried and basically said to me, I don't actually know if I want to live. The scary part is I don't see a future. It's a bright and sunny day, clear blue skies, when we meet 16-year-old Nikki. She's sitting on the couch, her long hair tied up in a messy ponytail. Despite the perfect weather outside, an atmosphere of sadness has settled in this house, shared by Nikki and her mother. They have been fighting an invisible enemy and must walk a tightrope as they journey towards a place where there is light again. Mental illness has dominated their lives for so long now, they're not sure they will ever reach that destination. This is Breaking Point, a two-part podcast that will delve into the minds of teenagers and how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted their lives. Nikki is wearing shorts that reveal the cuts that cover the length of her thighs. She doesn't hide them like she normally does, and she speaks with candor about why she self-harms. She's been doing it for almost four years now. It's difficult because I really try and not do it because I know it hurts my loved ones. Um, And it's so difficult because... I have to always be in long clothes now when I go to my grandparents' house because I don't want my grandpa or my grand to see it. And it's like I'm not doing it for attention. It's just my way of coping. Psychologist Mark Delaray, who works with teenagers, says self-harming often becomes addictive. It's not used as a way to gain attention because most kids will hide it away. Sometimes we have kids come in and it's been... They've been self-harming for two years, appearance don't know about it because they hide it away. They don't want anybody to know about it. Delaray says the number of teens self-harming has definitely escalated since the start of the pandemic. When we talk about anxiety in a very general sense, it's perhaps about not being able to manage your emotional state. So you're either feeling overwhelmed or because you've been feeling overwhelmed, you try and down-regulate, as we call it, so push the feelings down. That's when kids start talking about becoming numb. They feel like there's no feeling because they've over-regulated. So that's where the self-harm works. Because it works on such a physiological level that it becomes so easily part of their coping structure. It's a release. So like I say, those who are overexcited and, you know, like I say, overwhelmed by their feelings, it brings them down quite quickly. And then on the other hand, um, those who have been over-regulating for a long period of time and feel numb, when they self-harm, it has the opposite effect. So it kind of makes them feel real or feel like they are a person, in a way. Nikki's mom, who wants to remain anonymous, says her daughter's struggles with mental health started before the lockdowns, but it got worse during the pandemic and she was admitted to a mental health clinic for the second time in January 2021. During the pandemic, she spent a lot of time in her bed, a lot of time especially over the first, I think, two waves, because in the January of 2021 was when she was admitted again the second time. I don't know how we made it through the December. 
she was even happy to be admitted that she didn't even spend her 15th birthday at home. She was happy to be in rehab just because she wanted to get better. It was a special birthday, a different birthday. We spent almost an hour on Zoom time with her, but not the kind of birthday you would want. She was happy to be there. She wants to get better, but it's an ongoing daily struggle and daily journey. Nikki and her mom were not alone. Psychiatrist Dr. Tamara Mareski says many teenagers have struggled during the pandemic with anxiety, the common thread. There was an inc- a huge increase in anxiety. And, and the tricky thing is that in some ways it was a reasonable and rational response to a very difficult situation. So it wasn't disproportionate to the stress, but nonetheless, it um, in some people reached a level where it became so difficult and so big. The emotional regulation became such a challenge that they weren't able to function properly. And so I definitely saw a lot more anxiety, um, but equally depression. She says clinicians have also noticed a new rising trend. Some of the other things that have increased in frequency is eating disorders. It can be a way of trying to control things that are difficult to control because there's one thing you can attempt to control is your your eating and your weight. And so in the face of something that is so enormous and so difficult to control, it seems that perhaps that became a mechanism. Nikki's mom first realized her daughter was in trouble when she took her to a doctor for an issue that wasn't related to mental health. She landed up in hospital with something totally non-related. And we realized then that she actually had an eating disorder. Although we never let her know that she had an eating disorder, we had a wonderful pediatrician who told us that all her nutrients and levels were too low. He was the one who then sent us on a journey to find a psychiatrist because she was also depressed and sad and unhappy. And after a long journey of multiple other issues and being really unhappy at school, bullied, she hated her school. I knew there was something else up, but I hadn't thought of serious depression. And then we started our journey seeing different psychiatrists. That was where the journey of Loads of different medications started. Nikki doesn't like being on medication, but for now, she has no choice. I just don't believe in it. And if I could and I had a choice, I wouldn't take medication. But then again, I do know that the medication does help to an extent. Mareski believes medication can be life-saving, but the real work is often done in therapy. So I think that it's really important to do a thorough assessment. And given the context where there aren't enough people who can do those kinds of assessments, that is problematic. But I think that we are incredibly lucky that there are medications that can help children. If a child is actually profoundly anxious and depressed and it's affecting their ability to function and it might even be a safety issue, then they really do need treatment. I think it is a big decision to put a child on medication because if it isn't done thoughtfully, often they end up staying on that medication for a very long time and 
one wants to be sure that it's the right medication, that one gets the right dose for the child. And there are options when it comes to schooling too. For Nikki, academic pressures became too much and she is now homeschooled by tutors. We, as the parents, need to sit back and look and go, well, what is our expectations? Not so much the school. The school is providing what society is pushing for, which is math, science, English, blah, 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 and you must have so much and you must do it. But we as parents, what is our expectations on our kids? You will know when they are bullshitting you or they are really, really struggling. And I think when that is coming up, you need to start noticing and seeing how can we assist them. Nikki is grateful she is now homeschooled and was traumatized by her school experiences. The work was very hard. The teachers, I struggled, especially math. I got told once I did a few mistakes and she said, in front of the class, you need to go back to grade three. Like, you are so bad at this. And the class just went, and they all like started laughing and then started whispering and the teacher didn't even say anything. Like grade seven, I did again. I studied so hard. I was getting bullied. I was losing my friends. And I felt like, what am I doing wrong? And I felt like I was an easy target because I would let them go at me. I wouldn't say anything. I would just stand there crying. They even did it in front of the teachers. And the teachers pretend like they can't hear. And when they do say something, they say in front of everyone and they mention your name. And it's not nice at all. And it's so embarrassing. The downside for Nikki, who is not schooled in a group situation, is the loss of social interaction. Since I left the mainstream school, all my friends started dropping me. From then, I've just had a best friend I don't really see anymore. Other than that, sadly, I don't have any friends. I've tried every single way to make friends. It's just so difficult and it never happens. My mom's tried to put things on Facebook groups to ask, <clears throat> can, does anyone, my daughter's struggling with mental health and she's struggling with friends. Would anyone maybe like to like chat with her that's around this age and that? And we get no responses. I try on Instagram. Just never happens. Social interaction is crucial in the development of teenagers, says Delaray. And of course, the pandemic has hampered that significantly. We all go through this phase where we are completely dependent on our parents. And then we start reaching sort of puberty, adolescence, and we go through what we call sort of an individuation phase. So we're not separating completely or moving away from our parents, but separating from them, becoming our own person. Through that, we then have to have that social interaction, that connection with others, developing our own identity which is separate from that of our family. So that interaction just on a social level is very important. And the kids also, as much as they are on their devices these days, they also need to be out and socially connecting with others. And that is, that's fallen away. So it's been a big problem. He says the pandemic has impacted young people the most. In fact, there's some stats that came out over the last 20 months that showed that the biggest impact has been on those aged between 12, 14, to about 30, because that is the age range where we are most social, most connected to the outside. And that group of people has suffered the most because of the lockdown, because of mental health issues. Social media has been both a godsend and a curse. It plays, as you probably would understand, positive and negative sides to that. In this lockdown period, it's been their only access to their friends. In fact, schooling, everything has happened on that. 
So it's been vitally important for them to actually be connected. Without that, I think it may have been worse in certain ways. But then again, also, the negative side of that is where when we are feeling so isolated, we start scrolling, we start connecting to certain things, and we, we are sort of online all the time. And that I don't mean in a positive way. It's almost like you feel like if you're not connected, you are lost. And that causes a lot of different... There's many different things that happen from there. But that no downtime escalates that anxiety as well because they are actually constantly connected. And they feel if they're not connected, they are going to be lost or forgotten by their friends. For Nikki, social media triggers feelings of isolation. Definitely the part where you see friends hanging out and having a fun time, that's definitely something that gets to me. When I see someone and I see their body, I get so like upset because I just have a problem with my body. I've got body dysmorphia. I get jealous and I'm like, I wish I could have that body. And I go to the gym and it's I just don't get the results I look for. I'm very depressed. Like when you look on social media and you just see all these people having so much fun with their friends or you just like walking, like when I go to work and I just see people like hanging out and I just get so upset. And the fact that also I can't do school sports anymore, that I love so very much. Yes, I enjoy my gym, but it's like the interaction with people my age to actually talk about, not just to talk about to your your parents or your family members, to actually speak to your friends, to go to your friends and be like, how do you get a boyfriend? Or how do you like, do things? And not to actually go to your parents and be like, how do you get a boyfriend? Or how do I do this? So it's very difficult and I do struggle. And that's definitely part of, my depression and my suicidal and self-harming. So, yeah. And thoughts of suicide are never far away. It's scary to know that I could do something at any time and it's like a moment you do it and it's done. Like, it's scary. And I think the only thing that is stopping me from doing it is my mom and my grandparents and that if I didn't have them I would I would be gone by now. Nikki's mom believes her daughter's struggles with mental health stem from her divorce and she too suffers from depression. It's incredibly difficult as a mom. I lost my job just after I was I went to rehab. I think seeing your child suffer, there's nothing more than you wanting to take that pain away from your child and you'd rather suffer for them. So it's very, very difficult. It's horrible. And especially when you have some idea where the pain comes from. Nikki's struggle is a daily one. And there are times she feels like giving up. Simple tasks have become milestones. I'm very bad when it comes to self-care. Like, I just am wearing oversized clothes, baggy clothes. I'm, like, not showering or looking after my hair. My mom bought me a book the other day that's a self-care book. And I write in it every day. I write my goals. And 
it's it's hard because I'm I'm so used to my old coping mechanisms and I do try, but I feel like I've come a long way. But even with these improvements, she cannot see light at the end of the tunnel. The scary part is I don't see a future. Like, I didn't even think I was going to make it to the end of the year. I don't see a future. I just see nothing. If you or anyone close to you is struggling with mental health issues, please contact the South African Depression and Anxiety Group on 0800 456 789. Next time on Breaking Point, we speak to the experts about the warning signs of mental health struggles and what parents can do about it. This episode was produced by me, Catherine Rice, for News24, in-studio recording and editing by Greg Kokoveos, field recording by Bertram Malchas, music courtesy of Getty Images and Epidemic Sound, multimedia editors Charlene Ruet and Nokutule Maniati, News24 editor-in-chief, Adrian Besson. For other News24 podcasts, visit our multimedia page where you can find The Engelot Story, A Miscarriage of Justice, and My Only Story, Back to School. For more exclusive content, subscribe to news24.com.